Good morning. How are you guys doing today? I don't know. My stomach. Yeah. Potluck was last week, man. Sorry. Hey, uh, it's good to be back, and uh, we had a good trip. I got a cu couple of pictures to show you uh, from our visit. We went to California to visit our family, and I uh, hadn't seen my dad for about 15 months, and uh, some of the other uh, family members. Uh, this idea of things that matter kind of can't get away from it, you know, things that are important, faith, family and friends, fellowship, and the future that we have in heaven. It's just like, you know, got into me kind of thing. And so that was kind of what this was really. And, and uh, you know, but uh, to be honest with you, we left Friday, last Friday. On Thursday, I was ready to completely cancel the whole trip. I was so stressed out. Do you ever get stressed out, any of you? I mean, I was so stressed out. There's no way I'm going to go. And then my wife said, okay, well, you're going to call my dad and tell him that we're not coming. Yeah. I said, well, let me think about it. <laughs> so we did end up going, obviously. And, uh, you know, it was stressful the first couple of days. But it was kind of like a test, I think, for me. Could I really even do it? And, yeah, I could. Anyways, uh, we had a good visit. This is my dad here, 87, and uh, <clears throat> we did a lot of eating. We're always eating, and uh, we had a, we had a good visit. Though he's uh, you know he's got uh, Parkinson's and a little bit of Alzheimer's, and and so uh, you know we had a good visit with him. It's always good. And my saw my brother, my sister-in-law, and. Uh, they, they just got their kitchen redone and everything, and so we were there for the first meal, kind of in the kitchen, and, and so they always want me to pray. Sometimes, some, some family members don't really want you to, but you do it anyways, sometimes. But they always do, and, and so uh, we got to like pray, and it was like a praying a blessing on the house, you know, and on this new kitchen and everything. It was, it was just cool. And uh, then we, during that time, we got together with some other friends who uh, got down to La Jolla Shore. You see that there? And uh, we've known these people like 39 years. The guy, his name is Scott. We call him Mitch. And him and I were roommates. And Paula and Mary were roommates before we got married. And then uh, it's kind of funny. He, he hasn't forgiven me for this. Uh, we were supposed to have the summer together, right? Just to have a lot of fun and just do it. And then I went and scheduled our wedding for uh, June. And he was like, he was like so he's still upset about it. Serious, we talked about it. And they got married in September, back in 1978. Uh, we got to go to a new church plant. <clears throat> and uh, a friend that we've known for many, many years too, since 1982. And uh, we got to play the new song uh, there for them. And then we had lunch with, they had a couple that played uh, worship, did worship there. So we got to uh, have lunch with them afterwards. And, and it was kind of interesting because we were sitting there talking to them and we're like old. And they're like just getting ready to get married in a, a few weeks really. And it was like, 
It was like us talking to us, you know, all those years ago when we were young. So I thought I'd show you a picture that somebody sent me. And uh, that is really us. Just to prove that I did have hair at one time. At one time. I might look pretty good, if you, you know. She looked pretty good too. Now that's why I married her. Anyways, uh, that was good. Uh, Paula's parents, uh, we got to spend time with them. She's still there with them. Uh, we got to spend time with, with them and her sister and, and her sister's husband and some of the nephews and nieces. And some of them knew Christ and some don't. The, the subject came up of yesterday, you know, that the world was supposed to end or begin to end yesterday. And, uh, you know, that kind of came up. The sister asked about it. I said, well, you know what? The Bible says no man knows the day or the hour, but you need to be ready. We all need to be ready because we don't know when it's going to be. And it could be, but, but it obviously wasn't. Uh, we were supposed to get hit by some planet or something like that. And something hit us and the rapture. And everybody kind of jumped on it and turned it into all kinds of weird things. But... But the fact of the matter is, Jesus is coming back, right? Amen. This is uh, Paula's dad. Again, food. <laughs> Mexican food. Not just food, this is Mexican food. They live up at like 5,000 feet in the mountains, and there's this restaurant we went to. It's right on the cliffs. It used to be called the Cliffhanger, and they changed the name. It's Mexican now. And uh, it's called Hortensia's. And so we said, let's go to Hortensia's. I want to go there. So we go there, but like it was completely fogged out. You couldn't see past the window. Like, but we had good Mexican food. But what struck me as I've been reading in, uh, in 2 Corinthians, he talks about, Paul talks about the fragrance of Christ in our lives. Now, did, you know, were we like preaching at these people all the time? No. But there were opportunities to pray and there were opportunities just to be who you are. And Paul talks about the fragrance of Christ coming through us to people around us. That God works through us the, uh, you know, to bring the fragrance of Christ, the knowledge of Him. And, and to some he says it's a fragrance of life and to others it's, it's of death. Really, to those that are without Him, it's, like it, it's not like something nice. But to those that do know him, like I said, some of, the, some of our relatives are, are believers and, and uh, you know, there's just something that happens, right? Because there's a commonality of faith. And, uh, but I also read in, in 2 Corinthians, and this, was kind of, this deals with you, Paul says that you, he's talking to the people he was there in Corinth, you are a letter written on our hearts, known and read by all men. And so I was thinking about that, you know, it's like, it's, it's like I, we brought you with us there. Now, I wasn't, don't kid yourself, I wasn't thinking about you all the time, okay? I thought, I thought about you every now and then. But, but the truth of the matter is you're like in my heart and in my wife's heart, and it's like you are there with us. It's like that's the letter from Christ, that God is doing something here, that God is doing something there, and that, that it, it was just kind of, Interesting when I was thinking about those verses. So, anyways, that's, that's us. That's, uh, you know, maybe you're, you know, you have time where you spend with your family. And by the end, I was saying, okay, I'm ready to go, you know. 
sometimes, you know, that's how it is too. Family, you can take so much and then you gotta go, you know. <laughs> but we had, a, we had a great time. Paul was there for another few days. And uh, so anyways, let's get into Titus chapter one. Let's uh, open our Bibles there to Titus chapter one. We'll pick it up where we left off. We talked uh, last time about leadership and character, and we looked at the whole list of qualifications for elder slash overseer slash shepherd. And, you know, it's so clear when you read these passages and others that character really matters. But one of the, one of the, one of the hardest things, one of the most important things there, he says, uh, is that it is the leader is entrusted, look in verse 7, with God's work. It's a trust. He's been given a trust to serve in that capacity. It's God's church. And then he goes on to say that the leader must be firmly grounded in the truth. Verse 9, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So the leader uh, must be firmly grounded in the truth of God's word. He's got to really have that. And this idea of sound doctrine, and the word doctrine simply means teaching. Sound teaching. So that he can encourage others, and so that he can refute those who oppose it. Now, this idea of sound uh, means healthy. Means whole. And Paul uses this word, sound, speaking about the truth and, and doctrine and that. He uses it eight times in the pastoral epistles. So what does that tell us? That tells us that for a leader, and Paul's teaching leaders in the pastoral epistles, right? To be sound in the faith, to be sound in the word is so important. To be healthy, to be whole. And then he goes on in the next passage where we pick it up today to tell us why that is so important. And he begins to describe these false teachers. He talks about why they do it. He talks about what should be done about them. So we're going to pick it up there in verse 10. He says, For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, Especially those of the circumcision group. So he, he says he's got he's to be sound in the faith, sound in doctrine, sound in teaching. He says, why? Because there are many. Not just one or two, but there are many and they're, they're rebellious. Rebellious against who? Rebellious against God. Rebellious against God's word. Well, I have a better way. I have a... a I have really gained the you know, advantage of my understanding of God's word. You, you begin to hear some of these things. And why we talk about this is, again, so that you are informed, so that you can begin to discern. And that if you hear something that's kind of going off in some strange direction, there be, should be a red light that comes on and says, hey, wait, wh where does that come from? Where gold dust sort of sprinkles out of the sky. Where did that come from? If I got up here and started teaching some weird stuff, you know, I would hope that you'd begin to say, wait a minute, that's not from the Bible, that's not from the Word, that's like some weird thing that I've never even heard before. 
Now, it doesn't mean that we can't learn new things, but they need to be grounded in the Word. They need to come from the Bible, if this is one of God's church. So there's this rebelliousness against God's Word, a rebelliousness. He, he, say, he talks about mere talkers here. Mere talkers. In other words, the, you, you look at the meaning of those words, it says empty talk. Empty talk. Now, people can talk, you know, uh, there are people who can talk, who can say a lot of words, who can, can talk up a storm, but really have nothing of substance, nothing of reality in there. Now, you call, you know, people who, who have the gift of gab or the gift of, you know, they have, they're charismatic, they've got this personality, they can just talk and talk, and you're just like, you're going, wow, listen to that. But if there's no substance there, that's what he's saying. Empty talk, mere talk. You can talk and talk and talk, but nothing's there. No soundness there. No healthy there. And the third thing he says there is deceivers. Who are they deceiving? They're deceiving God's people. Again, Paul had said to Titus, you know, you're entrusted with God's work. These are God's people, and you better be careful that you're not deceiving them. So they're deceiving God's people. And, and I have to think about this for, for a second. Uh, are they doing it on purpose? Or are or, or they deceived themselves? I think it's probably both. Some things they're doing. We're going to see why they're doing it here in a minute. But there's this deception that's taking place. Deceivers. And then he says there, especially those of the circumcision group, and what he, what he means by that is those who, who believed in the law, that the law still applied to Christians. In other words, you must be circumcised to be saved. You must follow every part of the law to go to heaven. Now, is that true? No. We're saved by grace through faith and not of works. You see, it's a whole works thing that they're trying to decide trying to put on people the rules and regulations. And, and you can go to churches nowadays, too, and find, you know, as soon as you walk in the door, you begin to see this is what we expect you to do, to be. And you have to be like this and do like this, or you can't, you're not going to heaven. Really? Now, does it matter how we live? Yes, it does matter how we live. But is that going to get us into heaven? No, I lived such a good life. And, and how many of your friends say that? You, you, you know, they know you're a Christian. They say, well, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I live a pretty good life. I haven't killed anybody today. <laughs> and but what about the guy who did kill someone yesterday and repented and turned to Christ today? Is he going to go to heaven? Yeah. yeah, he is. He might still have to go to prison for the rest of his life for what he did. And the, the, the consequences are real. Paul talks in Galatians in, in chapter 2, he talks about false brothers who would come. He says that they, they came in to spy out the freedom we had in Christ and to bring bondage. Look what it says in verse 11. He says, they must be silenced. Because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. He says they must be silenced. You can't just say, and, and uh, I know there, I, I saw this church, you know, and they, they, pri they prided themselves on having, you know, like 25 different 
uh, type of spiritual groups all under this one umbrella. So pretty much anything goes. If you come in and say, well, this is what I think about that, oh, wow, that's cool. And the other person says, well, this is what I think about such and such, and pretty soon anything goes. It's like some weird you know, amalgamation of strangeness, right? I don't have any patience for that, personally. I don't have time for that. I, I need to know the simple gospel truth and stick with that, because I can't like, entertain all these weird and crazy things. And so Paul says they must be silenced, and, and uh, it, if somebody comes into a fellowship like this, and we're trying to teach the Bible, and they start you know, teaching some weird things, we're going to say, listen, you can't, you can't teach that here. And, and we don't just, you know, turn them around and then give them a big kick, but we have to tell them why. This is not, this is not from the Bible. This, we, we're trying to teach the Bible here, and that's not from it, so we'll see here why why they have to be confronted in a minute. But sometimes it's like, you know, we want to be so nice to everybody. I'll be nice, nice. And we don't want to rock the boat. And so I'm not going to say anything, even though what you're saying is complete heresy. I'm not going to say anything to you now. Maybe someone else will, will confront you. Maybe someone else along the road. But, but a leader, again, he's talking about leadership needs to be on you know, on the guard, looking out. Hey, if that's weird, it's not, it's not supposed to be taught. He says that it's actually ruining whole households, wrecking families by bad teaching. And bad teaching can, can split families. It certainly has split churches, hasn't it? Which is family, right? How? By teaching things they ought not to teach. False doctrines, unscriptural teachings. How do you know? How do you know if it's a false doctrine? How do you know if it's an unscriptural teaching? How do you know? By knowing the truth. By knowing God's word. And, and that's the only way you're going to know. Otherwise, you're, you, you know, you're just like sheep for the slaughter if you have no clue what the Bible says. Why do you think we talk about the Bible all the time? Because it's so important. Without it, we've just got some weird club. I heard, I heard uh, on the, there was a commercial. I'm trying to remember, I just heard it today, and it was from the Masons. You all know about the Masons? Well, you know, they're kind of like, they're kind of, their time has kind of passed, really, so, but they, they're putting an ad on the TV and saying, you know, hey, you gotta come check us out. And it was like, we know we're kind of mysterious, but you can come check us out, and you'll find out we're really pretty, you know, cool. They didn't use that word, but that's, I'm paraphrasing, of course. So, it made me want to run right down there and find out how weird it is down there. <laughs> no! But unless you know what God's word is, you're not going to know. Uh, I've been into, you know, the, the Masonic lodges, and they, like, they have no windows, Right? This one had one little window up in the very top. It was like, wow, that's weird. So why do they do it? What does Paul say here? Why do they do it? Why are they teaching these things? Why, why, why are they, get, you know, what is their whole bottom line? He says there in the bottom of verse 11, he says, and that, what? For the sake of dishonest gain. 
Why? For the sake of dishonest gain. In other words, they're in it for the money, right? That's really what it's all about. And the love of money is what? Root of all evil. It, it, it begins to get into you and wanting the money. And they would be taking advantage of people for profit, but, but dishonestly. It's not, it's not wrong to gain. It's not wrong to make money, right? It's not wrong, you know, you all work, most of you, and, and you need to have gain. It's the dishonest part of it, the deception part of it. And, the, and, and using people, taking advantage of people for profit. This is one way, really, for you all, myself included, to spot these kinds of teachers if their focus is on money. We looked, and, and, and the Titus uh, list of qualifications said not pursuing dishonest gain. Timothy chapter 3, 1 Timothy, not a lover of money. First uh, Peter chapter 5, not greedy for money. This can be a problem. Why does he mention it in all three places? Because it can be a problem. And it is a problem. It's a problem in the church today. This idea of money. There's, there's this idea, uh, and I've, you know, I've heard it. I've heard it. I've been a believer a long time. I've heard all this stuff. And this is the concept. Give so you can get. Right? You give so that you can get. But really what I think they're saying is this teacher is saying give, you give so I can get. Really that's what it's all about. Because if they really believed it so much, why don't they just give and then you know, they don't need to ask the people to give to them. You see what I mean? It's this deception that's taking place. I want you to turn back with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm, I've been reading in 2 Corinthians, and uh, that's why I, I'm, I found a lot of verses there that, that just apply. And when you go through the Word and reading the Bible for yourself, God will use it in your life. I say that all the time, but it's so true. God will use it, and you'll see verses that, that apply to your situation and to who you are and what you're going through. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17. Paul says, this is interesting. Look at this. Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. That's a very serious statement he's making there. We do this, we're, we're doing this before God. We're sent from God. You know, we're not doing this to make money. But he said there were many who were peddling the word of God for profit. I had to think about this, you know, because the word, uh, I looked it up, and the Greek word is something like kapileo. I may not be pronouncing it. Kapileo. And you know, my last name is Chapman, and the name Chapman literally means peddler. One who buys and sells. Look it up, you'll see. And so I said, I wonder if those two words are related. I didn't get to the bottom of it yet, but, but you know, and, and that's why, you know, I go to yard sales and I buy stuff and sell stuff. You know, it's like in me. But he says, we don't do that with the Word of God. We can't do that with the Word of God. 
That's not acceptable at all. The Word of God is free. Now we need to take care of those who serve, and, and the Bible tells us that the worker is worthy of his wages, but we're talking here about going over the top, where this focus on money and, and offerings, right? There's like this focus on offerings, and, and I've been to places where they might have three offerings in the same service. Three offerings, like, whoa. What do you think, I have three wallets? <laughs> So you know, they know what's coming, so you've you got to kind of portion out your money. Well, you're going to put money in the first offering, then you're going to put some in the second offering. And, and it, it just gets insane. How many of you have been to a place like that? Some of you? God, more of you than I know. Oh, I think we're going to take our first offering right about now. Because <laughs> we are ready. The truth is, how many of you have been turned away from church because of that, that kind of thing? That like turns people off, and, and I think here in New England especially. So what do we do here? We, we don't really, really do any offerings. We have a box in the back, and, and really we, we're showing that our focus isn't on money. It, it isn't on pressure. It's one thing I don't think God wants to do is put pressure on us. But I, I sense that in a lot of places, in a lot of things. There's pressure, and there's programs, and there's, you've got to do this, and you've got to do that. That's not, I don't think that's God's way in our lives, honestly. Though, I have to say, we need to teach about giving. So, oh no, here he goes. <laughs> you know, the truth of the matter is that giving is a part of following Jesus. It's a part of being a believer. It's a part of being a disciple of Jesus, and the, the Bible teaches it. And for the follow, follower of Jesus, the Bible talks about faithful and consistent giving. Faithful and consistent giving. You read it. You can study about it. Jesus talked about you know, money a lot. The Bible talks about it a lot. But you know, if I got up here and talked about it every single week, what would that tell you? That I'm hung up on money. We talk about it, you know, rarely. But this is part of, you know, the message that we're talking about today. I want to kind of give you a balance about it because, you know, it's not that we're never going to talk about money, right? Turn back a, a page to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, if you would. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 1. I read these too, and again, I'm reading 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, so this, I read this not that long ago. I noticed this about, about giving. Look what he says in, in verse 1. He says, now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian uh, churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Isn't that interesting? Now he's talking about sending people and sending gifts to Jerusalem that there was a big need there. But some of the principles there, he said, that, you know, it's on the first day of every week, that would be Sunday, that would be when they would meet together, that they would gather these things up. But he said, you need to do it before you ever get to church. You need to plan on it in your own heart. 
It's not something that you have this big collection, you get there and you get hammered and say, well, now I'm going to give. No, this is something that you and I decide at home, right? And we put aside that which we've decided in our hearts to give. It's consistent, though. Not, well, today I'm going to put, you know, $10 in the, in the box, and then maybe in a month or two I might put a dollar in. No, it's something that's, that's in keeping with our income, according to how God has blessed us. That's what he said here, right? In keeping with his income, according to how God has blessed us. And, and so you say, well, what is this thing about tithing? We pray for the tithes and the offerings. What is, what is tithing? Tithing is giving basically a percentage of your income, right? And that's not a bad word. Tithing is just a, a commitment. Now, is it, is it, technically, is it 10%? Well, the Bible talks a lot about tithing and 10%, and that's, that's okay, but I'm going to show you, we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians in just a second, that, that, you know, it really is a matter of the heart. But some of us don't ever want to think about that concept. But God has given to us everything, and so for me to give a portion of it back to Him... Not such a bad thing. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'll show you what I mean. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And uh, I know we have visitors here today and you think, oh no, they're talking about money in this church all the time. We rarely talk about money. I just want you to know that. But I'm not afraid to talk about money because we need to talk about it. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5. He said, uh, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Verse 7, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. No pressure. Why? For God loves a cheerful giver. And, verse 8, look at this, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. In other words, God's going to bless. Now, again, these false teachers would take these passages and say, you know what, you need to give generously right now so that you can reap generously, and they take these things out of context. The context is it's a matter of my heart. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, without this pressure. But there is something special about being a cheerful giver. And there is, the fact of the matter is that, that, that uh, my wife and I have been, uh, if you want to use the word tithing and giving a portion of our income for, for almost 40 years, for over 40 years, and God has never let us down. Never. I read that in the Psalms too. I'm reading in the Psalms and David said, he says, I was young and now I'm old. He says, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. I can say honestly, God has provided for me. 
I, I, set that, I set that money aside. It's not even mine. It's gone. It's going to, it's going to the Lord. It's His. It's, it's a decision that we've made. But you know what? There's something special when you know that you can give to somebody else too and like be generous. There's something about it. Jesus says more blessed to what? Give than to receive. You know, we, we have needs here. You know, most of you know this. You know, uh, we have plenty of needs around here. How does it happen? How does this all get, get taken care of? We don't have any, you know, what's it call, called when a college has a whole bunch of money set aside? An endowment. We haven't got an endowment. If you want to make an endowment, that would be awesome. Just let's go for it right now. But, you know, my family is supported. Uh, I'm on a fixed salary, just so you know. It's not, it doesn't, you know, the more you give, the more I get. No, I'm on a fixed salary. It's been fixed by responsible people. But we have a mortgage here. Some people think, uh, you know, we don't have a mortgage. We have a mortgage. We have utilities. We have upkeep. We have projects that we want to do, that we need to do, that we need finances for, right? I mean, have you looked at the parking lot lately? It's like a mess. And we're going to need to do something about that. We've been praying about that for quite a long time. But we also give, we give a portion of our income in the church, just so you know this, to missions each and every month. We have people that we support, we, we give that, that as a commitment that we keep, that we give to them no matter what. It's the same kind of concept, right? Okay. Enough about money? Okay, for this week. <laughs> Wait till next week. Let's turn back to Titus. Titus chapter 1. You know, it's kind of, it's still kind of warm in here, isn't it? What is going on with our AC today? Huh? You're fine? Okay. I might want to keep you awake, though. Verse 12. Paul says, Even one of their own prophets, the false prophets, false teachers, has said, Cretans are always liars. Evil brutes and lazy gluttons. We, we talked about in the beginning that it was a, a, it was a tough job for Titus to be working there in Crete because of the, the personalities and what was going on there. But he's saying even one of their own prophets, these false teaching uh, people, he was talk, they were talking about the Cretans. Now, it shows you they had a kind of an attitude about the people, right? If you look at it in that light, they're saying it about the people like they've got this attitude about people. They're not serving these people. They're not loving these people like they care about them. They only see one thing. What's that? The money, right? That's all they see is somebody that they can get something from. But I think it's also true that, that this applies to those false teachers themselves as well. They were lying. They were brutes and they were lazy gluttons. Verse 13. This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject the truth. He says, Paul says it's true. But look what he says. He says to rebuke them strongly. 
That's kind of strong language, isn't it? Rebuke, rebuke them strongly. Rebuke, rebuke them sharply. Why? He says, so that they would be sound in the faith. There's an idea, really, that, that what they were doing was to be redemptive. In other words, that they might get straightened out. You don't just confront people for the sake of confronting people, but rather that they would learn, that they would understand the truth. Now, it's, it's certainly up to them whether they're going to receive it or not, whether they're going to accept it or not. But he says, you know, no more myths, no more weird teaching, no more legalistic commands, but we're just going to follow the simple teaching of what the Bible teaches us. Verse 15, <coughs> to the pure all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. As it is right now, Paul was saying that it's just a, basically it's a charade that they're putting on. Why? The definition, absurd pretense intended to create a pleasant or respectable appearance. That they're trying to put on an appearance. But look what he says there. They claim to know God. He, he, they claim to know God, but, but by their actions they deny him. It's all just a show. They claim to be so spiritual. But there's really no spiritual depth there at all. You know, Jesus got all over the Pharisees, right, in, in, in the Gospels. He, taught, he got all over their cases. Why? The biggest thing they got over their, on their cases was about hypocrisy, Right? They would say one thing and do another. But, but listen, let me read to you this, because he, he was talking about using strong language. Jesus could when he needed to. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. That should have been enough, but he, he goes on. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He says it again. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you, have, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. These were the spiritual leaders of the day. And they, they were just putting on a show. They made it look, they had the robes, they had all this stuff going on the outside, but inside he said, you're full of wickedness. Jesus said, the, the, the work begins on the inside. Where we get moved and touched, it begins on the inside and it works its way out. Legalism is where we try to change from the outside in, and that's what they were famous for, is, is legalism. The law. Teachers of the law and Pharisees. These false teachers were like that too. He says, they're unfit for doing anything good. So, 
What's the point in all this? We need to beware, right? You need to beware. Let's close with Acts chapter 20. We read that before. We'll, we'll read it one more time because it's such a, uh, a pertinent passage. Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 32. <clears throat> Paul is uh, speaking here to the elders uh, from the city of Ephesus. And he says to them, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. That's pretty serious. And false teachers are, are going to have to give an account. We're all going to have to give an account. Look what he says, verse 29. I know that after I leave... Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Even from your own number, even from within your very midst, even from the, the group that we have here, people can rise up and get off on some strange, weird tangent and, and start teaching some weird stuff. He says, watch out. And again, the, the primary responsibility to the leadership to be watching uh, on guard. But I like to think that every one of us needs to be on guard. You can't, just, you can't just say, well, those guys are watching out, so I don't need to. No, we all need to be on guard and watching out. Notice what he said there in verse 30. He said they would arise, they would distort the truth and here we see another one of the reasons they do it. We saw back in Titus for dishonest gain, for the money. He says, in order to draw away disciples after them. In other words, to get disciples to follow them. Now, who are disciples supposed to follow? Jesus, right. Uh, a true leader, a true teacher will always point the disciples to follow after the master. No, don't follow after me. Now, it doesn't mean Paul said, you know, that his life was an example. You need to, you know, look at my life and see and follow me as I follow Christ. So we are leaders as, as an example as well. But ultimately, you're not my disciples. You're not my followers. You're Jesus' followers. And that's what he says here. They will distort the truth. Why? To, to draw away disciples after them. Verse 31, so be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. That's, that's pretty heavy, isn't it? Three years he's warning them, watch out, be on guard. But I love what he says in verse 32. Now, he says, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. Ultimately, that's the best thing we can do. Commit you to God and to the word of his grace. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Father, we come before you today and we, we thank you. I thank you for this family that is part of my heart. It's a letter you've written in my heart. 
that you're writing this letter uh, and, and we have something special here. We have a, a family here that we share in the love of Jesus. But Lord, you, you're also warning us to be careful and be on guard that, that there are uh, wolves and there are people who would try to spy out our liberty, to spy out the, the freedom that we have in Christ and bring us into bondage and to lead us away after themselves and after the money. Father, protect us as a, as a small part of your flock. It's your church. You paid for this church with your own blood. Father, I pray again for just uh, the guidance. I pray especially for leaders, the leaders in this church, the men and women who are, are keeping an eye out. Father, keep us in your word, Lord. We thank you for your word that we have it. I pray for each one of us that we would be committed to your word. That we'd open it up for ourselves on a regular basis. And Father, as always, I want to pray for those who have never surrendered to the cross of Jesus. Maybe that's you. You're here today. You're going, what's this all about? It's all about Jesus and what he did on that cross 2,000 plus years ago. How he died on the cross to pay for your sin, for my sin. That we could be forgiven. That we could go to heaven because our sins were paid for. And the way is open. And that all we need to do is not live a perfect life, but simply receive that free gift. The love that he has for you, for me. And so you can simply pray now and say, Lord, I... I come to you, I, I want that. And so I ask you to come into my heart, to come into my life today. Forgive me. Save me today. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together, shall we?